Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 11 to 12 and verses 22 to 28. Let's say together a prayer as we hear the word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to be in the house of the Lord. And um, so good to see our children feel at home in our church. And uh, they bring so much life and energy. I know that parents are often more concerned than most of us are when they are running around in the front. But I always say to parents, if children can feel at home in a place of worship, that is not a bad thing. So get over it, parents. <laughs> and remind yourself when you were little what you were like. And that always helps us to not be as judgmental of our children. Amen? The Lord tends to do that in my life. He reminds me more and more of what I was like, and it humbles me. And I think uh, grace um, comes from the life that is honest. You know, it's sometimes when, when we are not honest with ourselves about how much we need grace that we become very judgmental and critical of others. And so sometimes remembering the grace that has been given to us is a sure way of humbling us and holding us back from perhaps critical spirits and judgmental attitudes towards others, to which all God's people say amen. Hard scripture, isn't it? When I looked at the lectionary selection, I said, boy, maybe if I choose an easier one. The parable of the Good Samaritan sounds good right about midweek when I was laboring in Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In fact, it is, it is recorded throughout Jeremiah that there was no real significant change in the people despite his relentless preaching. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the prophet Jonah, who was disobedient, ended up in Nineveh. Remember this childhood story that we often heard? And, and you know that in the original language, uh, he only utters, I think, eight words, and an entire city repents. Eight words. We could say much about short preaching. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if the response is like that. But Jeremiah spends many chapters 
preaching and calling for a change of way, but people resist it. This morning, I want to speak to you about the significance of listening to God. I want to speak to you about the significance of having the wisdom to know the importance of following his ways. And I want to begin by painting for you a picture of prophets throughout Israel's history. In fact, one of the key prophets, according to biblical history, was Moses. Even though we don't refer to him as a prophet as we would come to know Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah, but here's why he was a prophet. Because prophets were defined as those who were uh, visionaries, those who were leaders, but more significantly, those who proclaimed the word of God to a contemporary people, often speaking words to them that they did not want to hear. Prophets were convinced that words had power, and when they represented the God of Israel, they believed that the God who spoke all of creation into existence by his word, when they proclaimed his word to the people, they believed that very word had the power to recreate and to change. An Old Testament scholar that I love reading, because he is wicked smart, for those under 16, I hope that appealed, For those over 16, you're probably struggling. (laughs) Walter Brueggemann says of prophetic ministry, and just stay with me for a second, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and a perception alternative to the consciousness and the perception of the dominant culture around us. Let me break that down. When Moses returns, to Pharaoh and to Egypt, he is returning to a world defined by brutal power and oppression, and he is speaking to a world that knows violence as a way of subjugating people. And when Moses begins to give Pharaoh and the people the word from God, he is challenging the people to apprehend of a world that they had not yet experienced, but that God had promised. All that Moses had was the word, and all that people saw were bricks and mortar, slavery and oppression, and yet God chooses this man, despite his own history, to implant with him a prophetic word for the people to say, I want you to see that there's an alternative world within which you can live if you will follow the God who proclaims to you now that he will set you free. Prophetic voices seem to be out of place in a world that says this is power and this is life. Prophetic voices are unusual voices because they don't seem to speak of the reality that is easily perceptible to most of us. But biblical history and our text this morning would challenge us to pay attention to the weird voice that comes through prophets. It would challenge us to believe that there is more to the reality of our culture and our world than meets the eye. And those who in faith have made Jesus Christ Lord of their life, pray this prayer, give me eyes to see and ears to hear that which God has in store and in mind for his people and his creation. Prophets saw the world differently. 
And they offered an alternative way of seeing. Uh, One of the commentators I read said, prophets knew what time it is when everybody else was snoozing. And when we think about prophets, we tend to think of them as predictors of the future. Certainly, there is a strong element to speaking about impending things to happen. But prophets only spoke of future implications and future things in relation to how people lived today. In other words, the prophet's warnings and the prophet's telling about what is to come was predicated upon looking how people were living today and saying this in different ways. If you continue like this, you can be assured that this will happen. If you live in this way, you can be assured that that will happen. They understood that life is defined not just by looking ahead, but how one lives today. And though for many of us, uh, we would love to know what the future holds in many areas, biblical wisdom given to us tells us this, that those who put their hope and faith in God and listen to him can be assured of a future in which God is present and hope is not lost. But those who choose to defy, reject the words of God in the Old Testament, in Israel's history, their kings, their leaders, including the people at times, did not live as if they had any sense of what God wanted. In fact, the language of Jeremiah is strikingly not politically correct. The word stupid is in scripture. The word foolish describes those who refuse to listen to the ways of God. And Jeremiah is uh, one of a a few prophets in the Old Testament. For example, uh, you know, as prophetic ministry developed, in Israel's history, by the way, it's not only in Israel, it was in other ancient cultures too. But as, as prophets became popular in Israel's history, there were kind of two major strands of prophets. There were, there were institutional prophets. Institutional prophets were divided into court prophets and temple prophets. Court prophets served uh, the political rulers of the day. And temple prophets, they served in ritual worship in the temple. And it is said historically, and Jeremiah would point this out, that institutional prophets often were co-opted by the powers that be, and they would say they speak for God, but their agendas were often influenced by those whom they served. Jeremiah in his book calls such prophets false prophets. In fact, when you study Jeremiah, you'll find out that Jeremiah says, these prophets are telling you there's peace, there's peace, all is well, and you are listening to them. Don't be deceived by false prophets. And I got to tell you, I have to be honest. If I was the people of Judah, if I was living in Jerusalem, bring on the false prophets. I'd rather hear a comforting word than a judgmental word. I'd rather hear that it's going to be okay than 
you need to pay attention to what you're doing. And I think that prophetic words these days are not so much words that are intended to draw attention to the prophet himself and say, look at how smart he is, he knows what's coming. But prophetic words are words that reflect the deep grace and love of God for a people who he longs to live in his ways, and he speaks hard words at times to people whom he loves because he desires so much more for the people called Israel, for the people called the church. And so, Jeremiah called of God. We speculate he was about 17 years old when he was called. Anyone 17? This might be your moment. You laugh. This might be the time where God puts his hand on you. In fact, you know what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah says, uh, not me, too young. I haven't yet gained enough age and wisdom to say anything. That in and of itself is wisdom, isn't it? It's the 17-year-old who think they know it all that one shouldn't call. And you know what I love about Jeremiah's calling? I love the fact that God shows no, God shows no preference for older or younger. He, he doesn't look at the qualifications of where Jeremiah comes from. He simply says, I need you to be a voice for me in a very difficult time where the people and its leaders are not listening. If I was Jeremiah, I would do exactly the same thing he did. He said, no way. And God responds and says to him, don't tell me you're a boy. Because <laughs> I choose whom I choose and call whom I call. And then we discover in the text that was just read, and you know there's a section that was omitted for the brevity of the sermon this morning. But in the section that was omitted, there's, there's this section in which Jeremiah, his whole heart is exposed to us. He has now said yes to the calling of God. He started to proclaim, and he is crying from deep within his spirit. In fact, I should read for you what the text actually says. In verse 13... No, in verse 19, this is Jeremiah. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Disaster overtakes disaster. The whole land is waste. Suddenly my tents are destroyed, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Uh, Jeremiah is, is weeping and crying out because he sees what is coming and everybody else is refusing to see the impending danger. He's weeping because he sees the end of the people, but no one else is living as if this end would happen. Do you know what happens in Jeremiah when Babylon invades and they sack Jerusalem? By the way, Jeremiah watched all of that. The people were shocked that it happened. The people were amazed that such judgment came, for they had listened to the wrong voices. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, stands in the place of God before the people, a God whose heart is for the people, but that is rent in two because God can see what is coming and no one else is repenting. I wondered about that and I thought to myself, that the closest I come to understanding 
what's happening in Jeremiah is as a parent. Ruthann and I are parents of three wonderful children. And I don't just say that. <laughs> you know, it's like God tailor made them for us. And uh, we learn from them. And we're trying to support them and help them grow into all that God wants them to be. And as a parent, one of the biggest challenges that you will face, for those of you who are parents of little ones that you can still hold or wants to be held, they now at the age where they, it's not cool, uh, but that's okay, I still sneak my hugs when I can. Uh, but one of the hardest things for a parent is to, is to see that your children may make decisions that would lead to ruin. And to feel powerless. One of the, the biggest fears of godly parents and parents in general, you don't just have to be religious to care about your children, of course, but one of the great fears is, is that when they make decisions and you see what could come and you are trying and you are pleading and you are speaking, you sometimes realize that that's about all you can do. <laughs> the prophet must have felt powerless. He must have felt like, what more can I do to get the people to listen, to get the people to change their ways? In fact, his weeping is not just for himself. It is the weeping that is reminiscent of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, when he looks at Jerusalem. And he says, would that you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I say to people who come to me for counsel on different subjects, uh, something that I've learned over the years, just practical wisdom, that wasted pain is the worst pain. That if you're going to suffer because you are disobedient, the only thing that intensifies that suffering and makes it completely detrimental is when we do not learn from it. I, I don't listen to, uh, to, to, to life coaches much, but there is a life coach that I want to quote. Can I do that? Does that make me cool or weird? <laughs> I first listened to Jesus, of course. Brittany Bugander says, I don't have the perfect roadmap drawn out, but I do know which roads I'll never drive down again. The language of this scripture is hard, for my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I could speak about the negative aspect of stupidity and foolishness, but maybe I can present it to you this way that there's an invitation in the text to learn from our failures and to become wise in doing so. In fact, 
Jeremiah would say to the people of God that wisdom is to know God, and knowing God is the source of a life that lives according to his purpose. In other words, for some of us sitting here today, there's much going on in our life. There's many challenges we may face. You may even be apathetic about your faith or kind of just being tugged along along life. Maybe things are just overwhelming. You feel like Babylon is coming from the north. And by the way, the scripture is so graphic, isn't it? It doesn't speak of a nice warm Chinook wind melting all the ice. It speaks about a gale force wind. You see, farmers would take a pitching fork and you know, hew that grain up in the air, and the gentle breeze would come and blow away all the chaff, all the unnecessary things, and the good things would fall to the ground. You know, the, the image here is the wind's too strong for such purification. It's blowing everything away. And sometimes, I think in the church, we, we, we lack the wisdom to know that disobedience has a significant consequence. That disobedience leads to what Jeremiah will describe later on, uh, desolation, emptiness. But if wisdom is to know God, wisdom is also to pay attention to the actions and the consequences of those actions and to determine to change them if we know where they are leading. I uh, got to be a little transparent, at least when I preach. And I have often wondered how I can know what is right, but still eat that Mac uh, hamburger. I've often wondered why that, despite understanding, my actions don't live up to such understanding. You see, wisdom is not simply understanding God's word, it's not simply knowing what God is warning about, but it is actually using that understanding and course correcting. You know, some people, uh, find themselves in difficult situations in life and turn to God with their fist up in the air saying, why did you let this happen to me? And if we were just to be honest, if we just let the grace of God kind of just calm ourselves and, and look back, sometimes, maybe more times than we care to admit, we've chosen the path. You see, wisdom is not something that we necessarily born with. I believe that God gives it to us. I believe that as Christians, we grow in wisdom. And if there is ever a time in which we need wise Christians, it is now. You know when we realize we need wisdom? Some of us, when we have children. Yeah, if you want to know you're not that smart, have children. But wisdom is not just this, and I think the church feeds on this idea that give us more to understand, but the gift of God is for a life that takes understanding and practices it. Oh, unrepentant Judah, if you continue in this way, this will happen. If you continue doing this, this will happen. But instead of course correcting, continues on in the ways in which they were. 
I think, according to the text, wisdom is also learning to know who to listen to. False prophets offering all kinds of false assurances. It's going to be good. It's going to be fine. Just keep on doing what you're doing. You're going to be okay to their shock and horror when Jerusalem falls. I think uh, wisdom is discerning what God is saying to us. And I thought about this practically. I thought, you know, I could just leave it at that point. That's a good point, right? A good theological point. You know, listen to God. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll mark on Stuart's review for his sermon. That was good. But what does that mean? What does it mean to actually listen to God? I, I, I think a few things. I think one is we take seriously this whole idea that God actually still speaks to the church. That God actually still speaks to people. That God still speaks through his word. That there's literally nothing we cannot bring to him and listen. Prayer is not just monologue, right? It's dialogue. It's learning to be quiet. It's learning to be discerning. It's learning to listen again. It doesn't happen when your life is too rushed and too busy and you're pushing two minutes to be silent. Have you ever tried to be quiet for two minutes? It takes me at least 10 to 15 minutes before I'm quiet enough to actually read and listen. I don't know if you experience that, but here's a simple thing I want to offer you. If what I'm saying to you today is the source of wisdom, knowing God, then certainly one of the most important things for you and for me is to make time to listen to the one who is all wise. And that requires an intentional life, an intentional posture of listening to the voice of God. It doesn't only happen when you make time in your spare bedroom or on your knees in the morning at seven. That's a good time to do it too. But you and I can practice the presence of God Every day, wherever we find ourselves. You know, I speak of that which I've come to experience. For a long time in my life, I thought I felt so guilty because I didn't have the, the, the specific place and the length of prayer that I was taught I needed to have. Anybody be there? And I'm defeated before I even hit the floor, you know? And, and, and I started to realize that the, the scriptural challenge to pray continuously is not this, this labor that is enforced upon the Christian, but it is an invitation to trust that just as we speak to one another, we can walk in step with God. Some of you are already doing that. Let me help you. Remember you do it. Have you found yourself in the middle of a day having a thought and discerning that this is what God may want of me? Have you felt that nudge of the Holy Spirit to speak to somebody, to pay attention to somebody, to slow down enough and make space for somebody? Most of us will resonate here. Probably shouldn't do this. And if we are going to pay attention to God, if we're going to listen to Him, I think it becomes important that we, we break the, 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 the restricted ways in which we think God speaks. He does not only speak on Sunday. And He does not only speak through stew. <laughs> well, some of you are kind of going, well, <laughs> we weren't really sure about that. <laughs> but He is present. Desiring to lead, desiring to guide. Wisdom is learning to listen to the right voice. May I also extend this. Whenever you hear preaching, whenever you hear teaching, we can access it online. Isn't there wonderful preachers online? 
You know, if you didn't like my sermon, go and listen to somebody you like, right? There's many books, there's many ways to access good teaching. But wisdom would have us begin with the ability ourselves to discern the voice of God. The prophets who spoke often spoke words that people did not want to hear. And if the standard for good preaching is, I like what they say because I always agree with it, watch out. You know what I find? That every ministry of preaching is in part a prophetic ministry. And there are times in which the preacher is going to say things that we don't like to hear. No amens? And we, we live in a culture where preaching is like another, another Starbucks fall offering of something. Pumpkin spice or vanilla latte. Whatever suits my favor, whatever um, 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 you know, tickles my fancy, pulls my chain, I, that's about as good as I get there on that metaphor. But if one is to be discerning of God's word, I think one of the characteristics of that word is a, at times it chastises. At times it convicts. At times God's word would say to us, if you continue in this way, this is what you assuredly will experience. It's like good parenting. When I tell my children, you may not know what I know, but I know something about where this will go. You know, and I, I struggle with texts like this that is so harsh, so difficult, but yet I see in it the wisdom of God and the grace of God being extended to his people. He still says to them, for my people are foolish. You know, when my kids are foolish, I don't want to be associated with them. That's not my kid. I'm not the only parent that's done that, right? You just quietly walk away. I think wisdom is discerning that when life is chaotic, by the way, verses um, 23 to 26, uh, it's called, biblical scholars call it an uncreation text. In other words, the word that is used here for chaos when you disobey God is the same word found in Genesis when God created order and he overcome chaos, overcame chaos. Here's what Jeremiah is saying. When you continue to live contrary to the word of God, everything that is good is being undone. And life returns to a chaotic state. Everything good is being undone when we live contrary to the will of God. And I do think that sometimes God's judgment is letting us have what we choose. You see, the north wind alludes to a foreign empire. We suppose it be Babylon. And the reason Babylon is invading is because Judah and God's people have aligned with foreign gods. And their choice 
brings this pain upon the people. When I thought to preach on Jeremiah, I got to be honest with you, I really struggled. And I thought, this is the Jeremiah I like, Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> Only verse 11. <laughs> For I know... See how many of us know that? Can I read for you what comes before verse 11? For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You see, uh, there's this incredible reality that God's not going to be done with them, but they are going to experience the consequences of their disobedience. And Jeremiah is saying, for the next 70 years in exile, you're going to have to learn what it means to listen well and to become faithful. I don't know if this is something you've ever heard, but sometimes... The grace of God let us live in the consequences of our actions. When people come to me in a state of crisis, when life has pushed them into an exilic place, you know what an exilic place is? An exilic place is an unknown place we've never been before that makes us feel alone and scared. Sometimes the end of a relationship Sometimes the death of a loved one. Sometimes personal failure that they didn't anticipate would come their way. Whenever people come, most people want this from me, I think. Help me get out of exile. You know what happens in exile when life gets really hard? One of two things. We ask to get out of it, or we ask to go back to before we got into it. So in other words, when someone shows up in my office and they and they are struggling with an addictive pattern or behavior. And I say this respectfully, because we are a church that believes God can heal and restore, amen, and set free. When someone comes to me and things are going real hard because they're doing the right thing, you know what the greatest temptation is? To go back to something they know is not good for them, but at least they know it. You know, sometimes uh, the, the, the best advice that I can give people who feel like they are living in the consequences of their own actions is to say, do not waste the pain, sense that God is even here. Sense that God is even here. You see, wisdom is the ability to not say, God, I wish I was out of this, but to own our responsibility in it, to confess and repent to him and to invite him even in to those moments of longing and waiting. Sometimes it's the only place we are changed. The only place we are transformed. Like a, a parent who wants to uh, 
intervene when their children have to learn the consequences of poor decisions. God allows Judah to get what they chose. You know what my cry is for my own life is, um, oh, that whatever I preach, I would live and believe. I think sometimes I want God to save me from the things that are difficult and hard when perhaps he chooses for me to be there for a while so that my life might be realigned again with who matters most. You see, I, 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 I believe the God of the Bible loves us deeply enough not to spare us from the hard things. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, my life has felt hard, Stu, challenges have come, can I offer you the hope from Jeremiah 29, 11? Can you hear it differently now? You know when it is spoken? In exile. You know when it is spoken? When the people are hanging their heads in shame. You know when it is spoken? When they knew they messed up and hear now the word of God. For I know the plans. Thanks be to God. For I know the plans I have for my people. It is good. It is good. Let us pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word today. You're reminded today that unwise living leads to brokenness. This is not a word, Lord, that is um, necessarily easy to preach, but perhaps even equally, it's not always easy to receive. We long to be a confessional community, a place where we feel free to repent and to seek your mercy. We desire to be a church that believes in the God who has committed himself to us far more than we are faithful to him. And we are committed to be the kinds of people who listen to your voice. I pray, Lord, this morning that whatever defenses we put out, whatever justifications we may feel to put before you, your grace would liberate us and give us the confidence to know that you are a God that does not pull away You are a God that is here. May this morning we, uh, we have this trust in you that you are good. 
and that your mercy is here for us today. So in these moments, as we sing these few songs, I pray that we would respond in truth and in honesty, entrusting again our life to you, saying to you with no uncertainty that we long to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.